0: This is the Internet Multicasting Service. Harper Audio presents Readings from My Life with Martin Luther King, Jr. by Coretta Scott King. Mrs. King describes the police abuse of nonviolent protesters in Birmingham, Alabama, and how Governor Wallace was forced to give in to protesters' demands.
1: On Saturday, April 20th, Ralph Abernathy and Martin were released from jail. That very evening at the Gaston Motel, a leadership conference hit upon the brilliant scheme of enlisting the black school children of Birmingham in the Crusade for Freedom. Martin realized that he would be severely criticized for using our children in this fashion, but he thought that the time had come to give the movement a dramatic new dimension. In addition, he felt that it was the children who would benefit most from desegregation, that it was the children for whom we were fighting, and that taking part in the movement would give them a sense of worth and dignity and increase their spiritual values. At the same time, everything possible would be done to protect them from physical danger. Andy Young, Bernard Lee... Jim Bevel and others went recruiting to all the high schools of Birmingham, as well as the Negro Colleges. And the children responded by the thousands. They attended mass meetings and training sessions in the philosophy and techniques of nonviolence. Even children too young to march asked for a place in our ranks. Andy Young told them, You are too young to go to jail. Go to the library. You'll learn something there. Six small children shyly followed his advice and all by themselves desegregated the library because no one dared touch them. On D-Day, May 2nd, Martin addressed a group of eager youngsters at the 16th Street Baptist Church. Then they marched downtown singing as they came. They were all arrested. Wave after wave of children marched off singing to suffer the same treatment. 959 young people were arrested that day. We shall overcome. The next morning, Martin announced, yesterday was D-Day in Birmingham. Today will be double D-Day. With the spotlight of the nation on him, Bull Connor was becoming desperate. He masked, police in the street around the 16th street church as a thousand children and teenagers marched toward them he ordered the fire hoses open jets of water under a hundred pounds of pressure knocked the children flat ripping the clothes off some of them then Connor unleashed the police dogs they ran wild biting the children The youngsters maintained nonviolence, but it was too much for some of our people who watched in agony from the rooftops. They began to throw rocks. Late Sunday afternoon, the late Reverend Charles Billups led a group of adults from the New Pilgrim Baptist Church to the police barricade. They knelt in the street and prayed. Then they walked forward. Bull Connor himself arrived and ordered Reverend Billups to turn back. Billups refused, and his people shouted, "'Turn on the water hose! Loose the dogs! We ain't going back! Forgive them, O Lord!' In a fury, Bull Connor shouted, "'Turn on the hoses, damn it!' But a miraculous thing happened. As the black people rose from their knees and moved forward, Connor's men, with the hoses sagging in their hands, fell back to each side the moral pressure of a watching world and the spiritual force of that little band of blacks broke their discipline disarmed them between their ranks past the leech dogs billups led his people they held a prayer meeting in a nearby park and marched back to their church singing freedom songs It was the first crack in the morale of the racist forces. All the next week, the children's crusade continued. Birmingham jails were full. The arrested young people were held in stockades or halls. Finally, there were too many to cope with. As 500 youngsters marched on Tuesday, the police broke up the demonstration but arrested no one. 3,000 people, mostly youngsters, infiltrated past the police by different routes and marched around the downtown streets, in and out of the stores, singing, Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, and I'm on my way to Freedom Land. Governor Wallace called out the National Guard. On May 4th, President Kennedy sent Burke Marshall to Birmingham to try to negotiate a settlement On Friday, May 10th, an agreement was announced. It was almost word for word an acceptance of the original demands of the movement. The stores were to be desegregated, hiring of Negroes upgraded, charges dropped, and the Senior Citizens Committee or the Chamber of Commerce would meet regularly with black leaders to reconcile their differences. Birmingham represented a real victory for the movement because the officials of the city and the white merchants sat down with the black leadership and negotiated a settlement. The victory had broad implications. Martin's long-range strategy in going into Birmingham was to focus national attention on the grave injustices endured by Negroes and to bring about federal legislation my husband had written that Birmingham was the colossus of segregation. A victory there would radiate across the South, cracking the whole edifice of discrimination. And it happened as he had predicted. Within a few months, nearly 1,000 cities were engulfed in the turmoil of change. Except for the Civil War and the Reconstruction, black people had never acted along such a broad front and a direct action drive to alter the conditions of their lives. Nearly a million Negroes with their white allies had marched or otherwise demonstrated in the streets of hundreds of cities in that historic summer. By its end, thousands of public accommodations were wedged open and a new chapter in race relations was begun. Objectively, exclusion was narrowed. Subjectively, the confidence of Negroes was widened and deepened. This confidence was later to become the foundation for black pride and slogans of black power. The fall of Birmingham was a turning point, almost too significant to be grasped at the time of its happening. Politically, as a result of the struggles there, President Kennedy reassessed the position of his administration and decided to propose a civil rights bill in 1963. It was eventually passed by Congress in 1964. At a press conference on the proposed bill at the White House, President Kennedy said to Martin with a wry grin, Bull Connor has done as much for civil rights as Abraham Lincoln.
0: This has been Harper Audio. HarperCollins is the copyright owner of this recording and has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright laws to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of HarperCollins Publishers, Inc., to order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214 or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio is provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly and Associates. Network connectivity for the Internet Multicasting Service is provided by UUNet Technologies and MFS Datanets.